Hi everybody, this is Chrissy. I just wanted to give you a quick update with life really being busy over the summer and especially, you know, living where I live in Winnipeg, summers are so short and I'm spending as much time outside and, um, and also have been working on these great opportunities with Ignite Purpose uh, that will now see me working more globally, which is very exciting, which just means over the summer, I'm going to just start publishing again some of my favorite episodes in the past, especially because there's a lot of new listeners and maybe you haven't had a chance to go back and take in some of the really great episodes that started off this show that I'm absolutely so grateful for. So uh, enjoy, enjoy this a uh, refreshed episode with Brandy Goodman on Ehlers Demos syndrome. It's actually really um, difficult to get diagnosed. It's so unusual, and most doctors no. haven't heard of it. Luckily, these days it is much more well known. Um, but I was 15 the first time I found a doctor who didn't accuse me of faking, didn't accuse my mom of having munches on my proxy, didn't accuse my dad or boyfriend of beating me, um, all these other things everything else in the world that could possibly be besides actually taking my word for it. <laughs> Hi, welcome to this episode of the Flare Up Show. I'm your host, Christy Cordingly, and I think you're really, really, really going to enjoy this episode. Like I mentioned in the show notes, there is this philosophy uh, that they teach in medical school that if you hear hoofbeats, I expect to see a horse, not a zebra, meaning that, you know, nine times out of 10, the answer is going to be an obvious answer, not some sort of obscure or rare disease. Unfortunately, though, some people do have rare diseases. And so that leads to uh, people with chronic illnesses or other obscure issues. So what happens is, when you they go through this process of like the most likely answer is probably the answer so we go through this long process of elimination where we have to prove that it's not the obvious answer <laughs> and rule it out before they prove to us that it's not the obscure answer which is why it takes an average of nine to eleven years for people with chronic illnesses or rare diseases to actually receive diagnoses. Brandy's story is very powerful. She's also in the process of creating some wonderful materials and resources for other people that may relate to her story and her experience. And uh, I think that you will be absolutely uh, inspired by this story. And uh, you're gonna learn a lot about some of the things that people with chronic illnesses experience. And you'll also learn great ways to advocate for yourself. Enjoy. All right. Hi, Brandy. Hi. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> good. Good. Thank you so much for being on the show today. So tell, we have been friends for a little while now. We met uh, through a VegFest event, which was, which was nice, right? So that's where we met. Yeah, the potluck. Potluck, yep. And uh, so maybe you could just introduce yourself to the listeners, tell them your name um, and a little bit about you. Uh, okay. I'm Brandy Champagne. I go by Brandy Goodman online because that's my partner's last name. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, physically disabled, uh, neurodivergent, um, have 
a very <laughs> whiny dog off in the corner there who's demanding. I let her in and out constantly right now, but I'll have to leave her sitting for like an hour. You can stay inside for an hour. Um, like I'm not really dog. sure. <laughs> my dog's the same. He's been in and out all day. Just gets so excited. I don't know what it is. Maybe fall weather. I don't know. But yeah. 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 Good. So now you mentioned that you are, so we met at VegFest at a potluck because mm -hmm. I remember, uh, well, we sat together, but you shared a bit about your story. And that's why I really wanted you to come on today because there's quite a few things within your story that we, we definitely have some things in common, but you also have some other, you ha also have a rare disease, right? That you've had since birth. Uh, so yeah. tell, a little bit of, tell a little bit about what EDS is and what that means and what that's like. So, uh, so Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, it's a connective tissue disorder. There are a few different types. I'm lucky and have two of them. Um, it's, <laughs> you gotta be it's a to everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a, at the chromosomal level. Um, so uh, literally my building blocks don't function properly. So if you've ever tried to braid thread and wool together, mm -hmm. that sort of wonky, that's what my collagen looks like. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, it's deformed, but in not uniform ways. Like if it was all too tiny, that might not be so bad, but some of it is really tiny and some of it is way too big. And when they try to mix together, they don't. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sure. you extremely, extremely flexible in the worst way possible, like an extremely old elastic band where every time you pull it, it doesn't go back all the way and eventually it snaps. Um, so it, it can cause a whole host of issues with every system, every organ, skin, joints, uh, causes frequent dislocations, bleeding issues, uh, bruising, um, inflammation. Um, and then it comes with a uh, <laughs> a nasty cocktail of comorbidities, mm -hmm. um, which are conditions which if you have one thing wrong with you, that thing can cause other things to be wrong inside your body as well. Or the first thing that's wrong with you messed your system up and then that caused other things as well. Um, so I've got you know, scoliosis, fibromyalgia, mast cell activation disorder, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, asthma. It's a long, it's a long list. <laughs> Basically, yeah, my body's a lemon. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> but it has this beautiful brain because you're like the kindest, one of the smartest, mm -hmm. most lovely people in the world. So, you know, maybe just to have this lovely brain and heart, you're, it needed all the energy that was supposed to go to the rest of your body. I don't know. <laughs> so, so when did you, is this something that's diagnosed right when you were a baby? Is it something people realize when you're a toddler or a child, like when you start growing? It's it's actually really um, difficult to get diagnosed. It's so unusual and most doctors no. haven't heard of it. Luckily these days it is much more well-known, um, but I was 15 the first time I found a doctor who didn't accuse me of faking, didn't accuse my mom of having munches on my proxy, didn't accuse my dad or boyfriend of beating me, um, all these other things, everything else in the world that could possibly be besides actually taking my word for it. <laughs> Um, and so I was 15, my mom was in her forties and my grandma had already died when we figured out what was wrong with us. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like you, you see this in TV shows, right? Like bones or something or CSI where, you know, someone yeah. has a lot of dislocations and bruising and, you know, broken bones. So they, they haul the parents off to jail and then they find out they have a rare disease, but you don't think yeah. that actually happens in real life. My goodness. That, that must've been, so you spent the first 15 years of your life growing in pain, probably. Yeah. And yeah. unable to do some of the things that your friends could do or other people in your community. And 
And then having doctors of all people yeah. tell you that you're making it up and that your mom, like that, that she had pro- like mentoring by proxy, like that she was making it up to get attention. Yeah. Yeah. That's she was making thought- you feel sick by talking about your symptoms. Oh my goodness. Um, the funny thing is, even though they accused mom of, of making me sick on purpose or of just, you know, pretending I was sick, they accused my dad and boyfriend of beating me. They never did anything, never called CFS, nothing. It was just, this is probably what's happening. You're probably abusing your kid. Bye. and even then yeah like oh oh my goodness I I was healthy until I was about eight because that's when puberty started for me Um, many 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 people with Ehlers-Danlos especially um, people who are assigned female at birth um, we don't find out until puberty but many don't find out until pregnancy because uh, the hormone relaxin interacts with Ehlers to the point my mom's pelvis was starting to unknit when she was pregnant with my brother Um, it causes basically it's, it's very hard to to carry a baby to term when you have ailers lots of miscarriages um very high risk of, of of dying during pregnancy or after giving birth or whatever just everything involving pregnancy does not go well with ailers you know like a typical pregnancy the body does release chemicals to loosen ligaments right and joints in order to accommodate childbirth so i imagine that's almost on steroids and for some yeah, ailers, yeah. absolutely <laughs> So you're the only child then, or do you have siblings? I have a brother. Um, he uh, was an emergency C-section, um, yeah. and uh, he also has it. But the the structure of most male joints is a bit different than most female. Obviously, it's all a gender spectrum here, or a sex spectrum. Yeah. But, so his joints aren't as unstable as mine. Yeah. Um, so his symptoms aren't nearly as bad. He is then considered disabled. He's just not exactly healthy kind of a thing. He's kind of in that yep. gray area. Okay. Um, whereas yeah. me and my mom or <laughs> we were, we were bad. My mom, my mom still is bad because she hasn't gone vegan yet, <laughs> but I was life. Yeah. So, yeah. so when we met at that potluck, you had explained a little bit about your story and how you had changed it. So 15, you get diagnosed and what mm-hmm. is the advice then to help you manage what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, basically none. Um, they just, they put me on, um, T3s when I was 10 because they didn't know what it was yet. They just, they knew there were some pains. So they put me on T3s. Then I was on Percocet at 13 and then hydromorphone at 15. Morphine. I was on over. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they told me it was incurable, untreatable that every single day of my life would be worse than one before. And, uh, eventually my main GP, he told me that my problem was I cared too much about my symptoms that it would be, uh, that I was only ever going to get worse. I was never going to get better. I needed to stop expecting him to make me better. And the sooner I accepted that, the better it would be for everyone. Yeah. And so I was just on, they had me on, uh, you know, those one of those large ice cream pails. It was overflowing in medications. They were constantly falling out of that. Um, yeah. And so just, it was medications for the symptoms of other medications. And it was just, I, I was on uh, crutches from age 10 till 15. And then I had a cane from 15 till 17. And then I was in a walker for a few months. And then I was in a scooter, I think, but from about 17 onwards um, until I started getting better again. Yeah, you were um, like almost incapacitated. I remember you talking about- Yeah, I was- Your boyfriend was nervous about leaving at home because you basically 
needed things with an arm's length, right? To yeah, I was bedridden to the point where um, I would go to the bathroom once every day to every two days. I just, I ate so little and drank so little. I didn't need to go to the bathroom. I was wasting away, even though I was morbidly obese. I had every um, oh. marker of anorexia, except for my size. Um, and there were days where I was so weak, I couldn't lift the TV remote. I couldn't turn the TV on. So there'd be days I'd just be laying there with no TV. For seven of the years I was bedridden, I had no internet. Um, it, it was actually the fact that I got the internet that I started seeing videos about veganism online. And after my most recent uh, pregnancy that didn't work, oh. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was dying. I, I honestly, I don't think I had very long left. And so when I saw, uh, it was a couple of videos by PETA, actually, it was one where it was um, having someone hand out dog milk and trying to get people to explain why dog milk was different than cow milk. <laughs> and I realized I, I, I couldn't, no. <laughs> like I knew dog milk was wrong, but then what made cow milk right? And yep. then the next day I saw another video, which was absolutely awful, but it was, um, they asked some kids what their favorite food was. And the ones that said chicken nuggets, they gave a live chicken and a knife to, which, oh my God, talk about traumatizing, but it, it still, it made me think. Yeah. And so I tried to go vegetarian when I was a teenager. Yeah. And you, my were, doctor, told, you were told not to, right? Your doctor yeah. was like, do not. So tell us a little bit about I mean, that. Yeah. So he got my mom to leave the room and then berated me for I don't even know how long I, I was just bawling my eyes out. He said that clearly I didn't love my mother because I was killing her daughter in front of her eyes and that I would be dead in weeks if I went vegetarian. And so he bullied me out of it. And I believed the doctors for a long time. I had no idea that doctors don't receive nutritional training. Like I had no idea. You, you think doctors know about the human body. You think that they're going to know this stuff, but they don't get that training. They don't get and that training. So when I went vegan, it was because I thought I wasn't going to be alive much longer and I wasn't going to take any more animals' lives. Aww. And then I started getting better. And <laughs> yeah, so talk about that. So how? So you're in bed and it's hard for you to get out of bed. Like yeah, you are incapacitated. So how do you go about a dietary change? Very slowly. So um, I learned about um, the intelligence of pigs. That was my first thing that I learned about. So cut pigs out. Then I started learning about the capacity to love of cows, yeah. cut cows out. And so it was just a progressive thing that over a few weeks, um, once I started learning, I, I have to know. <laughs> once, I, once there's a kernel of a thing, I, I have to dive, I have to know. And so I just started learning more and more. And so over this process, it was just a slow elimination, cut out one thing at a time, um, my husband was doing, or my partner, he's, we're common law and engaged, whatever you want to call that. You call him whatever you like, yeah. <laughs> so he was doing literally everything for me. He was cooking, he was working, he was cleaning, he was helping me get dressed. The very few handful of times I would leave house, like during the winter and spring, because of snow and mud, I couldn't leave home. I was so fragile yeah. um, and so easily injured. I couldn't, and my muscles had completely atrophied away. I was barely capable of taking any steps whatsoever. He did everything. And so he just adapted. When I, I asked for him, can you do this instead of this? He, he just did that. And uh, over time, I started getting to the point where 
I was able to make myself a little food here and there. And then I was able to make a small actual meal. And then I was able to just start cooking. And now I'm in the kitchen all the time. I love it. Like (laughs) literally a few weeks before I went vegan, I was researching gruel, like um, um, true meal replacement things. Not, not, you know, the things are called meal replacements because you can't live on those. They're supplements. I was trying to find a literal meal replacement that was as bland as possible. I was researching gruel and now I'm freaking cooking all the time and making curries. I'm making stir fries and making stews and soups and, and, and just all this kind of stuff. And the more I was cooking for myself, the better I was getting. And I had to know why. So then that's how I found out I have mast cell activation disorder. That was not something that my doctors found that most of the things. So what is that? My mom, Tell me a little bit about that. So mast cell activation disorder, very common with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yep. It's similar to an autoimmune disorder, but not quite. They're actually trying to figure out if it's going to be classed as an, as an autoimmune disorder or not. So like an autoimmune disorder, your body targets your own cells. This is like napalm friendly fire. Your body thinks absolutely everything you come in contact with is trying to kill you. It sends out an allergic reaction to everything, which causes widespread inflammation and in everything. That's where you have the bland food. diet, right? That's where you're looking for bland foods. Yeah. Yeah. And so once I started learning about things, I started learning about dietary histamine. I had no idea there was histamine <laughs> in food, none whatsoever. And so I, I, I've been slowly tailoring my diet more and more for what I need, learning more things. Um, but it, so mast cell can cause anything from just a flushed face, some light hives through severe gastrointestinal all the way to anaphylactic shock. Um, so my triggers, I, I'm, I'm allergic to so many foods, but I, I, I can eat so much more. Like before I went vegan, my entire diet, not even kidding about 80 to 90% dairy bread, boiled chicken breast, um, peas or carrots boiled to the point that they were practically non-existent. And that was basically it on eggs. Uh, it was all white foods. Yeah. Um, because I reacted to everything. The only thing was, I didn't know I was reacting to dairy. I knew that certain foods burned my mouth and would make my mouth swell. Don't eat those. I did not understand that you could have allergic reactions down the line in your intestinal system. Correct. So I was having severe perpetual allergic reactions to dairy, but I had no idea because it didn't react the way stereotypical allergies are supposed to react. I wasn't sneezing. I wasn't itchy. It was, it was just pain and and severe chronic constipation. constipation i remember you talking about that like you it was like once a month you would go to low washing yeah i was uh, uh, uh my i had a doctor appointment a couple of weeks before i went vegan and he said at my next appointment we were going to have to start discussing a colostomy bag that i was going to have to have surgery to oh insert a colostomy God. bag because i wasn't able yeah. to go to the bathroom and then i went vegan and <laughs> and like i'm fine like i had to be careful bread will make me constipated I think I might have an issue with gluten. We're still figuring that out. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, a allergic. Yeah. otherwise it's, it's just fine now and it's intense. So I couldn't have pepper. I couldn't have garlic. I couldn't have corn. I couldn't have, and corn's in everything. I, uh, I couldn't have preservatives, yeah. couldn't have dyes. Like it was, and now like I have to be good for a few weeks, get my histamine bucket lowered because part of the issue with mast cell isn't just that you 
react to everything and your body overproduces histamine, it also takes forever for your body to purge it. So every day has a cumulative effect. If you have too much histamine on one day and then a little too much the next day, it just, it keeps growing and growing. So you have to really be careful in detox um, and just have the plainest of plain foods for a few weeks. And then I can have a curry and then suffer for it for about a week. (laughs) And then really good again, but I can have those occasional days where I'm having something that is high histamine, but I'm surviving it now versus before if there was a single grain of pepper in like an Alfredo sauce or something, I would, my mouth would swell up. It would burn. I would get extremely confused and dizzy, turn bright red fevers. Like, yeah. (laughs) So, so how long have you been plant-based now? Uh, so I started um, transitioning in the tail end of 2017 as I was learning about things. And I've been fully vegan since January, 2018. Nice. Very nice. We're like similar because I was 2017 as well. Yes. Four years. Yeah, so exciting. Awesome. And then, so now like I see pictures, like you go hiking now yes. and like, what are some of the, like, can you eat curries and stuff now? Like daily even or is it still every few days like you still got to be like yeah it's it's definitely like if I was going to have a curry I I would need to have maybe a couple weeks of being good having you know potatoes and rice and and cauliflower and broccoli because cauliflower and broccoli are both natural uh, antihistamines it's not very strong but I I have as much of that in my diet as I can possibly manage because every little bit is going to help um so I do definitely need a couple weeks in between those bad things um, but, uh, <laughs> I couldn't have anything at all before. So no. it's, it's great. And when I first started getting better, um, I started doing, uh, tracking my steps yep. and I, it took everything I had to get to about a hundred steps a day. Yeah. One day I did 250 and I couldn't walk for about a week. Yeah. Now I've gone for a seven K hike. Um, I've gone to very difficult terrain. I just, so on Sunday, I just yep. went for a 5.6 K hike and then I went to the park and then I went shopping and then I went to, uh, I went for a walk in our bush and then the next day I went for another walk and yeah, like, another- I still, I'm going to, I'm going to have bad days and it's going to sneak up because I don't know everything about my body quite yet, but no, 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 no. I'm having good days. I never had good days at all since I was 10. Like there hadn't been good days and now there are good days and the bad days are a lot less bad and a lot less frequent. <sighs> I know it's like just another vegan wasting away, right? That's <laughs> yeah. I know. I, so I have lost about 60 pounds. Good for uh, you. I went vegan. I, I was uh, about 270 pounds at my biggest, but I've also put on way more muscle and yes. I'm, just it's just healthier and healthier and healthier and healthier and I'm just I'm learning everything I possibly can and (laughs) it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gone vegan I would never have known that diet could affect my condition because they specifically said there was nothing I could do I was sent uh, because I was on disability um when I turned 18 for a few years um you have they require you to go to a dietitian if you're fat yeah and so I was required to have five dietitian visits on the first dietitian visit, telling them just a few of the things wrong with me, he said, I can't help you and rubber stamp the next five visits. Jeez. So yeah, like there was the, every doctor, every specialist all said there was nothing they could do and there was nothing I could do. 
and I believe them roll on time. We don't know what we don't know about nutrition. It's crazy how, mm-hmm. and many of us have completely changed our lives just by fueling our bodies properly. And really, you don't have to know a ton about science even. It's like, we know that our cells regenerate every 30 days and what is your fuel, what you put into your body. So it's, you are literally what you eat. Your body is this ecosystem, right? Like, so feed it the good stuff. So now when you've gone back to the doctors and they see how well, do you even go to the doctors now for checkups? Do you like, are like, look at me, look at it. Can I, can we share this with some other patients? Like, what do you? Well, so I had had that one doctor since I was, I think 17 or 18. Um, I walked into him with a cane when we first met. then I was in a wheelchair almost the entire time I was with him. Then I went vegan, walked back in with my cane and told him everything. And I quit him. Good for you. And uh, my, my, I haven't found a new good doctor yet. Unfortunately, I found one who's better. Yeah, good. He doesn't treat me very well when my husband isn't in the room. That's so... Um, that's unfortunately an extremely, extremely common thing. I, I've, I've known that since I was 15 or 16, that if I don't have a man in the appointment with me, it's a wasted appointment. At best, I'll get a refill of my meds, but nothing's going to happen. If my mom comes with me, the treatment's ever so slightly, maybe 10, 15% better. But unless my dad or husband vouch for me as being a sane person and not a hysterical woman, and I'm not even a woman, I'm gender, but whatever. Yeah. I got boobs, <laughs> I don't care about. If I don't. And you're so rational, like to talk to you, I mean, you're definitely passionate, but you're rational, you're intelligent, you're articulate, like there's no reason, like if you got heated or energetic in those discussions, it's from not being heard, right? It's it's a response to... I, you know, and I, I know I'm lucky in a way that my doctor at first wasn't so, but then once she, she really started realizing what I was doing and saw the changes, she went back and started taking more education in those areas for herself oh, and awesome. just started sharing that information. And I think that's really what, you know, medical, I think any of us in whatever professions are, the more you learn, the more you should be sharing it and expanding because you can't stop learning just because you have your medical license doesn't mean you now forever know because there's so much science still being discovered. So, so now your husband obviously is a very special person in your life. Like, and that, you know, that makes me really happy because you were surrounded by a lot of people that didn't believe in you, but you have this angel person, right? That was like, oh, yeah. you're great. And I'm here. So how has that been? So is he gone vegan now as well? It just recently, a few weeks ago. He's oh, that's amazing. Yay. I know. I'm so excited. But <laughs> I have to, I, there's one thing I have to point out with him. So there's this pretty shockingly common thing with disabled women if they have a partner who is their caregiver yeah not necessarily just women but it's it's even more common but if you have a caregiver who is your partner and they have been with you your since you've been disabled the whole time they can often get so attached to your disabled situation to their 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 role as caregiver that they treat you like crap when you start to get better yeah but not him no and then the other direction is if you start to show a little improvement oh you're good now and you don't need help anymore some no he has been absolutely perfect. If I say I can do something, okay, I'm here if you need me. If I say I can't, okay, I've got this. It's, it's, 
I cannot gush about him enough. <laughs> you know, and, and you know what? He is great and you're great, but, but that's what a normal relationship should be. Like just listening to your partner mm-hmm. and responding in kind. Like that's really, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, it's crazy to me that relationships today, that that is not a common, right? Like when you no. see, yeah, but yeah. So I'm really glad. And you're like that too. You take people for what they tell you and you really give, it's authentic that you're listening and understanding and uh, participating in what they're saying to you. So it's like, you guys are like, like just, yeah, meant to be, I mean, who knows what, yeah, yeah you guys are definitely. Well, okay. I'll bet I have, on it. Not that you probably have, every day is probably not perfect. I'm sure, but. Well, I mean, obviously when you have two neurodivergent people in the house, sometimes yeah. are, so I'm autistic and ADHD. He's yeah. autistic, ADHD, dyslexic and has amphantasia. Um, and so sometimes what, how do I wear this? <laughs> Our <laughs> brains can sometimes do things in ways that are not so great for the other person, but <laughs> both of us understand that the other person didn't do it on purpose. Yes. And that we're both trying really hard. And so we, we don't fight. We don't do anything like that. It's always communication. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time to build up the guts to communicate because both of us are, you know, we were emotionally abused as kids. We had bad people in our lives yeah. and we are very it's hard to get us to speak up. Like, I know I don't seem like it, but I was, uh, <laughs> I was almost nonverbal for several years. There yes. is a situational mutism. Yeah. I barely spoke at all. I was so traumatized from, I think I was about 10 until about 16 or so. I, I barely spoke at all. Um, making up for it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't know we were neurodivergent when we met. He was just the first person that I ever met that I actually clicked with, yeah. that I felt at home with. And so we've been together since we were 15. Um, it's gonna be 19 years in a couple months. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you want to know the story of how we met because it's pretty dark, but awesome. <laughs> it's kind of like made for You're a movie. We'll share it, yeah. Um, so when I was 15, that was the, uh, the time where I had my suicide note written. I, um, yeah, I, I was literally just waiting for my dad to refill my hydromorphone um, because I figured I'd take the whole bottle. Yep. But a few weeks earlier, a friend of mine had invited me to go to a dance at his school. Oh. And I said, no, because I'm shy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then it got postponed. So then he asked me again and I said, no, again. And it got postponed again. It went from a Halloween dance to a Christmas dance. And on the third time he asked, I'm like, okay, well, it's going to be canceled. I'm just going to say yes. So that he's, you know, stops asking and then it wasn't canceled. And so I had planned on doing it that day because that was the day my pills are ready. And that was the day of the dance, but I didn't want my last act on earth to be breaking a promise. So I went to the dance and Mm -hmm. that's where I met David. That's amazing. And I was love at first touch. Like he was terrifying because I had a major man phobia at that age. Yep. And he had a brain tumor when he was a baby that caused him to hit puberty when he was a toddler. <laughs> so they had to put him on medication to, to try to hold off on puberty, but it didn't work so good because he was a foot taller and furry. <laughs> <laughs> so he's your age, but he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. he, was, he was so scary. But the second he touched me, I yeah. felt safe. That's amazing. And yeah. It was amazing. I, 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 people like, oh, you should make that for a movie or whatever, but oh my God. 
And we've just ever since, he's just, he's my best friend and he's perfectly weird, exactly the right <laughs> time for me. And it's perfect. It is perfect. I know it's so good. And, you know, two people couldn't deserve a better happy ending. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's true. So, <laughs> so ADHD, the nice thing about ADHD that we do have that in common. And the nice thing about that is you talked about the need for research and the learning and the like, let's yeah. fix us. But that hyperfixation <laughs> really is our superpower, right? That's really mm-hmm. what makes us get to the bottom of it. And that can be frustrating, but also I think it does like, but I'm going to try it this way, right? I, yeah. I'm arming myself with this. So that's amazing. So what, what have you learned about, like, if you could share with somebody else out there that maybe is struggling with being heard or recognized um, or getting their message out to get help, you know, we talk about, you know, the other day, someone, you know, was, I saw someone online talking about suicide and then someone commented oh just a cry for help I'm like a cry for help help cry for help like why are people like cry for help yes who yeah. helps them right so so what <laughs> if you had someone like that in your life now maybe medical conditions similar to yours or whatever and they were really mm. struggling what have you learned about advocating for yourself? What do you wish people like yourself, myself, and other people like us had at their fingertips? Well, the hardest part for me for advocating for myself was not feeling like I deserved it or needed it. That it wasn't that there was something going on. It was that I was broken. I was wrong. I was impossible. I was too much. I was a drama queen. And I always, I spent my entire life feeling like an alien. And it wasn't until very recently that I realized aliens were never alone. They were separated from their people. We are not alone in this. And we we were just made to believe it because it was so much easier to control us when we were alone. Mm -hmm. And joining these communities, the autism and ADHD communities are incredibly accepting. And most disabled communities are. Like yes. my, my, my Ehlers communities, my, my, my zebra communities, because that's the, the mascot for us for, you know, doctors are taught if you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, but zebras exist. Um, so finding these communities was so helpful because suddenly I realized, hey, they're like me. I'm not the problem. There's something different happening here. Once you accept that you are different, not broken. That's when you can start to realize, hey, everybody else is being an asshole to me. It's not me being impossible to deal with. They just don't want to put in the effort. They, they, they would rather just brush me off. So joining those communities is honestly the biggest thing possible because then you have people that can have your back on those days where you don't feel like you deserve anything. That yep. can remind you, what would you say to me if I was saying those things? Oh, I tell you to go get help. I tell you to do whatever you need to do. Because so many disabled people, we're just, we're hugely empathetic. It, it's something that when you suffer your whole life, you do everything you can to stop other people from suffering. And when there's someone else there to tell you, hey, what would you say to me? God, that helps so much. It does. And so having the community, having access to the internet. Geez, that made a difference. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And as hard as it is, and I'm really bad for doing this, write the things down, write the things down that make you feel like they're just you. And then just 
ask those groups, does anybody else have this thing that you've always felt was just you? I have had probably hundreds of things I thought were just me. And then I joined these communities and oh my God, no, this is something that happens to everyone. So And the more you ask those questions, the, the more you're like, no, th- this, these are my people that they, they, we, we exist for a reason. We are here for a reason. And obviously the neurotypes and disabilities, they're different things. Physical disabilities. Yeah. You got to try to do something about those with the, with the brain stuff. You have to just accept that this is who you are. This is, this is not a problem. The problem is the way people treat us. The problem is being forced to live in a society that was set up for them and specifically not for us with Disability, it's like the physical disability. It, it honestly, it's try to pretend that you're not you. Mm-hmm. Try to pretend that you are someone you care about, that you want to get better because we are taught and trained not to care about ourselves, not mm-hmm. to put ourselves first. But that's total bullshit. <laughs> and it is, it is changing. Thank goodness. You know, I was saying I was my daughter was doing homework the other day and I was like oh what are you studying she's like oh conflict resolution I'm like what's that like you're learning about like it's not thought she meant like big conflict like business and she's like no so we learn that our body does this response when we're feeling threatened and this there's some ways we can calm and we can decide when we could respond how to respond and I'm like I wish I could go back to high school all over (laughs) again now because all this stuff is so good for you guys like it's nothing like when I went to school that's for sure tough it up if you don't get treated rough and learn to tough up you'll never make it like that's terrible yeah terrible advice exactly yeah so we're 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 almost wrapping up because we have 40 minutes but so maybe share what are some of your favorite groups like for vegan communities like if you want if someone wanted to really start looking at adding more plants to their diet and using the power of nutrition to kind of help with some of their symptoms and, you know, feel more comfortable in their body. What are some of the places that you've gone to for support or help? Oh, uh, that's a tough one. Um, okay. So I do have some great groups on Facebook, um, but you, you, most of them are like condition specific, yep. but um, there, there are always local vegan groups. Yep. And the thing about vegans is because it's the same thing with being disabled. As soon as you start learning the truth about the stuff, Oh, you want to tell everyone? Yeah. You will find someone <laughs> who wants to tell you what they know. Yeah. If, if you go to those groups and you ask, so like I'm in the Winnipeg vegan community. I'm in the, uh, oh, what is that one called? They recently changed the name, the, the plant-based Manitoba. Whole food, plant, whole food plant-based Michelle's group. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's part of the plant pure nation community. So WFPB Winnipeg. Yeah. That's a great mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And that was um, more about the whole food. Like it, it's not just veganism, but it's also like healthy non-processed food. So yeah, I, I think the, 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 the best thing to do is just start with a couple things, like whatever the thing that is scaring you about veganism, look into that. Like most people are worried about protein. Mm-hmm. Protein comes from plants. Yeah. <laughs> it, the animals that you eat to get the protein, they got the protein from the plants. You can get them straight from the plants. The, the complete protein myth was accidentally started by an anthropologist who recanted about a year later. Um, and, but the media had already taken off with it. Like that's just, that's not a thing. No. Uh, every single nutrient that you can get from animals, you can get from plants. Um, oh God, you're going to, you'll, you'll find passionate people wherever you go with this. Um, yeah. The, protein. The, the, like, even if you just, people are like, well, complete proteins. Well, even if you eat corn and peas, 
that is all the essential amino acids and those two foods. Like, so you're fine. Like if, as long as you're eating a varied diet, not just yeah. corn for your entire life. Yeah. Don't like, go living on fine. French fries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you, you keep hearing these stories about, Oh, they, they started starving to death when they were vegan. Yeah. They were living on French fries yeah. or they were living on, you need actual nutrients. Like you, you need color in your diet to be able to get these things. But if, if protein deficiency is incredibly rare, it's actually more likely for you to have too much protein in your diet than it is for you to not have any protein. In your 100%. Diet. And most people are carbohydrate deficient, right? Where yeah. They're not getting enough uh, brain food, right? Like they're not yeah. getting the energy that they need. Yeah. Yeah. yeah proteins for muscles, carbs are for energy, right? And fat is a lubricant. Mm-hmm. Make sure all the stuff works. So <laughs> and there are um, documentaries too. Um, so yep. if you're, if you have a soft heart and you're worried about watching documentaries, cause like I haven't been able to get David to watch the, you know, the harder ones, but um, there's um, uh, what the health. Yeah. It's a great like one. H-E-L-T-H. Um, there's game changers. Game changers. Um, both of those are, are really good at focusing on the health aspects. Um, and they, they don't get into the, 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 the moral side of things. Um which if you've already gone vegan, those, those, those will crush your soul. Those are for people who haven't gone yet. Those are people who don't yet recognize the sentience of people who aren't human or yes. you know, beings that aren't human. Absolutely. Um, but if you are already on the moral path to this, but you're worried about the health side, those would be helpful. Definitely. Um, those are great. Game changers are great. Cause they even talk about soy and the manly myth, right? Like that you're more manly if you eat meat and they actually yeah. proved it with erectile dysfunction. So I know. It. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not manly at all. Um, so yeah, so, um, and what's your next goal? So you've been hiking, you've been doing this. What's the next thing that Brandy is excited to accomplish? Um, well, I'm trying, I'm, I'm having a hard time because pandemic fatigue is kicking my ass, but sure I'm trying is. to write a, a book not a cookbook. I'm not, it's not recipes. It's literally teaching people who have been kept out of the kitchen by their caregivers, by their doctors, <gasps> by society, by their own fears, who are starting to have to learn to cook as adults. Cause I had to teach myself from scratch to cook when I was 31. That's amazing. Uh, and it was terrifying. I had three mental breakdowns over trying to cook rice because, yeah. <laughs> uh, because all the recipes out there, they all treat you like you have a certain baseline of knowledge mm-hmm. but no we don't have that baseline we haven't been taught anything in fact we've been taught to not trust ourselves in the kitchen so we're starting from a deficit and so I want to walk people through how I started cooking this the simple things I did at first to start learning how to cook and how to cook without a recipe because if you can recipes are good as a starting point but then if you're out of an ingredient one day, you're going to have a panic attack. If you're uh, anxious, have autism or are or, or, or yeah. autistic. Um, and it's, it's scary. Like I once passed out while I was pa- cutting, cutting carrots and didn't come to until the knife was in my bone, in my finger. Like now, since then, okay, I've learned better ways to do that. Like th- there are ways to do things, but nobody teaches you them. Like nobody teaches you how to save something once it's going wrong. Like I, I didn't know that you could put potatoes in something that's too salty, cook the potatoes in it, and the potatoes suck the salt up, and you can take the potatoes out, and it won't be salty anymore. If it's yeah. too acidic, add some baking soda. If it's too um, bitter, add some salt. Like, I had no idea these were things. Um, and so I, I just want to pass that on and help people learn to get in the kitchen, because being able to control what you eat is a luxury disabled people don't usually have. 
Yeah. And it's necessary for your health. If you want to be in the kitchen, you should be allowed to be in the kitchen. And I'm hoping I can try to help. 100%. I really, I think that's a great mission. Do you have a name for your book yet? <laughs> the word you tell is way too long. <laughs> so I've been calling it, if you can't stand the heat, spend more time in the kitchen. I but I don't think that's it. Great. <laughs> I love it. I, cooking is super relaxing. I find after work um, that that time spent just touching food, working with yeah. food, chopping vegetables, mm-hmm. tasting things as you go along is so relaxing. Good. Well, thank you so much, Brandy. I so appreciate your time. I'm excited to see your book and thank you for being part of my group online. <laughs> and yeah, I, so this, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I know you're going to be really happy with this episode and I really appreciate you. And I'm super happy that we're friends and, uh, and that you trusted me to share this story with, with the people I know. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you again, Brandy. That was really great and just so inspiring. And I know that all our listeners really learned a lot from hearing your story. And thank you for being so open about it. Um, If you are looking for a community of like-minded women or people that are going through different health challenges or just looking to boost their self-esteem, their personal power, um, are just looking for a supportive community, then please go on to Facebook and join my group. It's the Girl with a Flair community. Anybody can join. There's just a few questions that you need to answer. You do not need to be vegan to be on that group. I just ask that if you post recipes or pictures of food, uh, that it be plant-based totally just out of respect for uh me and some of the other people on there where some foods can be you know triggers and make us uncomfortable so but we don't talk only about food or veganism so trust me even if you are dealing with trauma addictions you're just looking for great new friends the girl with the flair community is a great place to be so come find us on facebook you can also follow me on instagram girl with the flair coaching and i will be i've taken down my website so i'm going to be relaunching it with some new uh, materials and resources later this year and probably doing a whole relaunch of my business come january so watch Uh, for new services, new coaching opportunities, new workshops, and other things that you will be able to join and participate in uh, all through 2022.